if you worry about times like this a lot, then when times like this come up, you're ready. And every time the recession comes, I have this sort of math, which is we're going to have to do half as much business with twice as many companies. Welcome to Sales Pipe Pros Podcast. Here's your host, Mike Petrosian. All right, everyone. Welcome to Sales Pipe Pros. I am your host, Mike Petrosian. Really appreciate you taking the time. Today, my guest is a San Francisco native turned family business owner who will soon be celebrating 30 years in business. He was the mentor that gave me my start in the tech space. And I got to tell you, working for this man, I learned more in six months than I did in any <laughs> my entire college career. And I'm very excited to have him and join us and then share his insight. Harold, man, welcome, my friend. Thanks, Mike. That's what a nice intro. Wow. Uh, I, I, well deserved. I appreciate that. Well deserved, buddy. So appreciate you taking the time. Before we get started into your business and where you are today, let's take it all a step back. What inspired you to start your business out of college? Tell us how it all started for Harold Mann. Um, I uh, learned uh, late in life that I am high-functioning ADD. And so <laughs> Uh, what that means is uh, I act impulsively, and I remember one day just walking into my work, which was an ad agency in San Francisco, and thinking, I don't like office politics, and I really just didn't like the whole dynamic of who did I have to align with on which project in order to make sure I was, you know, not in trouble. Office politics is a pretty normal thing in a lot of corporate jobs, and I just decided to quit. And I thought, I just want to help people. And it sounds very naive, but I stuck to that basic approach, which is I just want to be helpful to people. I had no business plan. I think if I made a business plan, I would not have quit. I would not have started because it would have been daunting. And when I run the numbers, it would have been intimidating. So I just quit. And it's, it's just not a very romantic beginning. I just quit and I got one client. And then I got another client. And I kept saying yes every time someone said, can you help us? As a matter of fact, I'll never forget a client saying, can you help us? And they were a, a, a Hollywood movie studio. And they didn't know we were in San Francisco. They just said, can you come in for a meeting tomorrow? And instantly I said yes and got on the first flight. So I built the business just by saying yes to everybody who asked for help. Sounds simplistic, but that's really what it started at all. I remember you had a music background. Uh, you were passionate about music. Why specifically IT and Good, not yeah, you know, guitars question. or pianos or anything like that? I am naturally uh, able to just play music very easily and uh, did a couple of recording projects when I was in college. And I will never forget coming home at the end of an all-night recording session because the way you get inexpensively is you book a studio for the entire night. And I remember getting back to my apartment at six in the morning and thinking, wow, that was work. And it was the first time the thing that I loved was actually work. And when I looked at how much money I was making doing it, it is not an easy life to be a professional musician. And so the way to not be a starving musician, this is a secret for your listeners, 
the way to not become a starving musician is to not become a musician. <laughs> do it, uh, you know, do it on the side, do it for fun, do it out of love. But when you do it in order to pay rent or to get food on the table, boy, it is a grind. So I just went um, for things that I had natural affinity for and computers were one of them. And um, it was a lot easier that way. Music has still been a wonderful part of my life. Um, but I prefer to, you know, have a nice yeah. steak from time to time. <laughs> Fair enough. And was it about the programming? I, I remember you had, you dabbled in some engineering, but did you like the idea of just working in the hardware aspect of it? Like taking it? Well, I was, a, you know, the t typical 13 year old kid with the Apple II and doing all the programming at home and then uh, getting into, I was the PowerPoint guy at the ad agency. And then I started helping people with all the, waves of of technology whether it be cd-roms or websites or interactive video so um once you have a basic understanding of it you can generally get around whatever the new technology is if you're really into it absolutely so you started this business from what i call with your younger brother alex yes yeah 1991 uh, i was in a studio apartment and um we decided let's do this and yeah we fought for the first four years pretty intensively <laughs> uh, if anybody is thinking of starting a business with family people ask me all the time what's it like to work with family member how do you do it how do you not kill each other well the key a couple things if you work with a family member it turns out they are their own person and as much as you think you may know them very well having maybe spent 18 years in the same house with them it turns out they have their own ideas and those ideas might be different than yours. And so once we learned and once I learned, cause my brother's probably way smarter than me. Um, once I learned that his ideas were his own and I needed to respect them and treat them as his uh, and separating our responsibilities, everything has been wonderful ever since. So the last 26 years have been just a joy. He's my best friend, a total trust. We still fight. I can, you know, tell him, if I think his idea is silly, I got no problem saying that. No, that's amazing. Great. I mean, uh, I think the one way to uh, businesses, startups in jail generally fail like nine out of 10 times, but to have a startup with your brother, I'm sure has an even higher fail rate. So the fact that you guys have been together for this long and still continuing to crush it is amazing. Kudos to you guys. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you back in 91, you know, everything was so new. All you had to do was just go to work and people were asking you for things, you know, can you set us up sure. with email? Can you set us up with a website? So we didn't have the pressure and the competitive pressure and the sales pressure that you have now in today's economy, mm -hmm. which is way more sophisticated sales process is way more sophisticated. So it, I, I don't envy people starting a business right now. Absolutely. And I'm glad you said that because it's a great, gateway to the sales aspect of it you know you are a natural musician you love playing with computers but that does not equate to sales skills and from my understanding usually <laughs> introverted is a little bit harder on the sales side so tell me you know starting a business clearly revenue is key how did you and alex manage to scale that business and what sales strategies did you folks take in order to bring the customers in the door yeah so this may sound contrarian but i will say uh we had no business plan therefore we did not uh, write that I'm going to get 15 new clients this month or I'm going to get $100,000 in revenue by the end of the year and none of that. All we did was put our heads down, work very hard, 
work on details and being extremely thorough. I actually don't like um, negotiating. It's just, it doesn't give me joy. I don't like going to a, a market where, you know, you're supposed to haggle with them for the thing. I hate it. Hate the car buying process. Hate it. Hate anything that involves that back and forth. I prefer to be value based. And so I have always worked on just delivering an extremely good product. I've been inspired by products that are so good that people will go out of their way to get them like a Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme is known for going to locations where the rent is cheap because people will go as far as they have to go to get a Krispy Kreme or In-N-Out Burger or something like that. So my preference is for the work product to be so good that that is the best sales resource. These sound very cliche. I've read a ton of sales books, but I will tell you, I'd rather my happy client be selling for me than me having to get in there and put together a proposal. I stopped doing proposals a long time ago. I stopped doing sales kits. I'll do a, a presentation from time to time, but honestly, I prefer the brand be why people will buy from us and not get yeah. into the, um, you know, uh, the back and forth. I just, it doesn't yeah. give me joy. Yeah. I remember, I mean, working with you about 11 years ago, I remember the majority of our business was referral based and, you know, clients just kept trickling in because of the great work that we were doing for people. And I think you always mentioned there's good, fast, and cheap. You know, if you have two out of the three, uh, you continue focusing your business on that. It's going to continue growing. Yeah, you know, I learned something also from my my first boss uh, at the ad agency. He, he was getting sort of uh, ribbed by the client that they were trying to sell. And at one point in the middle of the meeting, he was holding onto this binder, and he just drops the binder in the middle of the conference room. And it made a loud thud. And he said to them, well, maybe we're just not the right company for you. And boy, I was in the back with the, in the video booth, you know, doing the speaker stuff. And I watched and I, my jaw dropped. I couldn't believe that he did this. And I'll tell you, after he did that, that client came scurrying back and apologizing. And, <laughs> and he was basically saying, look, you know, maybe we're not the right brand for you. When you're in that position, when your brand is that strong, when your product is that strong, you can do that. And if your product isn't that strong, then you got a tough road ahead of you. So my job is to make our brand and our product so good that when people want to go, what about a 10% discount? We can say what what Apple does at the Apple store, which is the price is the price. And that is a very enviable position to be in. And I don't think you need to adjust that even in a recession. Absolutely. So let's get into that, Harold. I mean, since 1991, we've had the dot-com burst, uh, yeah. 2007. So you've clearly been through all that and you guys are still kicking and screaming. Love it. 30 years later now, you guys are about to so almost celebrate 30 years in business. What, how has the game changed? It sounds like it hasn't changed for you much, but tell me, have you had adopted any other strategies that are bringing more revenue in? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, uh, when you get a couple of recessions under your belt, you breathe a little bit easier. It certainly isn't fun. But if you worry about times like this a lot, then when times like this come up, you're ready. And every time the recession comes, I have this sort of math, which is we're going to have to do half as much business with twice as many companies. Love it. And if you if you can get enough operational efficiency where you can maybe say hi to 2000 people instead of 1000 people and maybe get 50 cents instead of a dollar, 
you can still hit those same revenue numbers. It does, yeah. it takes a lot of operational efficiency. You really need to be figuring out every little step along the way and how much time that takes in order to make that as optimized as possible. Those little hiccups um, end up becoming terrible speed bumps. So yeah, we got to do less work with more people. Yeah. I, mean, I love that's that. That's the only way to do it. I love that. I mean, I'll say one thing. The majority of my sales success has been attributed to that model right there, the land and expand option, doing a little bit of business with a lot of people, planting those seeds and letting them grow. I see a lot of young executives, a lot of young salespeople just try to get the entire big pie right off the bat during a sales cycle. And they end up burning everyone out and then overall burning their deal because they just want so much out of it. You know, I want this, I want this, I want that. If you just have the little portion of it and give it time to grow, I feel like that's the best way to do business. Yeah, I mean, and not everybody has got the product or service that's going to be uh, conducive to that, right? right? So if you're working for a SaaS business that has a $100,000 minimum price tag, that's a tricky pipeline to build because you can't just get in there and suddenly offer a $5,000 version of your product. Right. So I do think at the product or the service definition side, you do need a way to pe to let people in in some way so that they can get into your brand experience and then grow uh, with that. I don't, you know, mm -hmm. it's easy to, to, to do when you have a small priced item. So our priced items are, you know, con computer consulting for $160 an hour and uh, timesheets for $25 a month. So these are right. relatively small priced items. Absolutely. So uh, the SaaS product, ClickTime, we'll talk a little bit, but I want to focus specifically on your consulting business. It is a face-to-face -face business. So clearly there are some challenges that we're dealing with COVID and the distancing and stay at home. How have you pivoted your business to accommodate those type of uh, requirements or regulations and still having your employees thrive and taking care of your customers? So in the COVID world, you're going to get an initial surge of, of, um, things, at least from the IT side, because suddenly now people need to move all their people to other locations. People need to work remotely. So there's a whole bunch of work just helping getting people set up for um, uh, telecommuting and, you know, all of the work from home stuff. So we have a, a surge of business on that front. We're going to have a surge of business of people moving out of their offices because this work from home thing has been so successful for some companies. They're going to say, why do we even need an office? Right. Um, so we'll get a we'll get a big uh, bump on that. The tricky parts from the IT standpoint are things like device management and securing devices. It's easy to do that to secure a network when it's all in the office. But when you're trying to get someone to secure their network while they're at home and their daughter's on TikTok all day, it's a little <laughs> bit um, trickier. Uh, so there are some challenges from an IT standpoint. Um, there's some technologies that enable people to sort of be at the office. I'm not talking about VPN, which is sort of a legacy technology. I'm talking about things where you can actually see your desk computer on your home computer. And, uh, and I'm not even talking about go to meeting, those kind of things. These are pretty sophisticated tools. I think we'll see more of those in a COVID world. And I think this blurring the idea of being at the office or home or wherever you are, location independence is probably here to stay at this point, mainly because work from home has been so successful for people.
Yeah. And I'd imagine going back to ClickTime, which you're a partner with uh, Alex as well. That's a software as a service product that's going to be thriving even more because people need to track timesheets and everyone's working at home. It's going to be a little bit more cumbersome to track that. So they need that product or are you seeing something different? Yeah. Um, th I, there's definitely a need for people to be accountable. Um, I will say when people are working from home, you know, you don't get the old, uh, that old image of the supervisor looking down on the staff saying, oh, get back to work. You know, you can't really do that over uh, Slack or Zoom as easily. Um, so tracking time obviously is gonna be critical for certain service-based industries that need to be accountable for that. I do think we're gonna, long-term, we're gonna see more of an emphasis on deliverables and not what people are doing at any one particular time. Sure. So work from home is creating a lot of weird stuff around asynchronous interactions. Someone will say like, are you there? And someone will be like, no, I was having breakfast. And like at work in the work environment, that would be sort of like, well, dude, we're at work. You know, I need you right now. But it, when you're working from home, uh, that concept of being at work or being at home or eating, all that stuff is a little bit more staggered. So there's some challenges there around time tracking. And then on the IT side, there's definitely challenges um, yeah. like I mentioned. Yeah. So as a business owner, you know, clearly, you know, it sounds like some employees are having breakfast on your dollar. So how do you kind of monitor that, manage that accordingly without having to discourage it? What advice would you give to business owners that need to adopt those? If you're, yeah. If your business is based on billable time, then try to just focus on your unused billable hours each week, forecasting that at the beginning of the week to figure out how much of a, how much you're going to need to sort of hustle. Um, and then try and let your folks just do their work whenever, as long as they get the work done. Uh, right. Is it possible people are sitting around doing all their work in an hour and then playing Minecraft for the last six hours or Fortnite or whatever people play <laughs> these days? Um, I, yeah, it's possible. But again, if you just focus on the results, I think it creates a big middle management challenge where managers have to figure out, are my people being as productive as they can be? So right. it makes some hiring challenges. I, one thing I forgot to mention, Mike, is that both of our businesses, MAN and ClickTime, are running almost completely uh, fine remotely. So right. we're not, I mean, we go onto clients' locations when we need to because we're considered an essential service, but none of our clients are there. So that we're, there's very little for us to do at their offices. But right. we've got all of our people working. We're, we're very lucky to be able to do that. Absolutely. So there's a lot of layoffs happening right now, Harold. You know, I think we're about 10 or 11% unemployment rate and that's quickly rising. Um, at this point in time, there are a lot of people, you know, what you just said, living the laptop lifestyle, anyone could start a business, you know, open up an LLC, get a website going in a matter of a day. What advice would you give to someone? I know you mentioned earlier, this is not the right time, but I'd like to hear, elaborate a little bit more on that. What advice would you give to someone that says, hey, I want to start my own you know, yeah. online consulting company or something like that today? Yeah. Let me clarify that. It's not, it's, it is the right time if you are ready to give it a tremendous amount of work. The advice I always give people is if you are fortunate to have a day job right now, keep your day job. And uh, if you can do your day job from nine till five and then eat and then maybe take a walk and then work from 6.30 to 11.30 or 12.30 or whenever you fall asleep on the keyboard, 
that is the best way to work on that side hustle. And that side hustle becomes your main hustle when the cost of not doing it is too high. So a lot of people come enamored with starting their business and they get their domain and they get their business card and they get their Wix site and they're ready to go and they buy all this stuff. Uh, keep your day job if you can and keep your ego in check and take that other job that pays the bills, even if it's delivering for FedEx or whatever you got to do to make yeah. ends meet. People romanticize this sort of startup lifestyle, but it is hard. And so um, my overnight success took 30 years and I am glad it happened as slowly as it did because it helped us focus on what was important, which was just building the best product we could do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And well, you work for me. Let me ask you, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Did I, did I seem like I was always a worrier when you worked for me? Uh, a warrior with an O and, but with an A as well. Oh, <laughs> so, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was always about being tenacious, being transparent. I think, I think one of the best values you taught me was transparency. You know, it's, we're not going to kill each other. Let's just be honest with each other and figure out a way to do great work together. But yeah, there was uh, a lot of focused on <laughs> the right goals, making sure that we're all in alignment. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'll never forget you and I were working, I think 2010 and business was kind of slowing down. We're like, one of the things I, I'll never forget you told me is we're going to blanket this effing town. <laughs> and we just started market, sending out more cards and writing uh, personal notes and really marketing and really taking care of the customers that we have because we know for a fact that they would bring on more business eventually. So, yeah, it's, I got to say the marketing thing in this environment is tough. You know, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how many COVID emails you got over the last month or two just saying, you know, we're here for you. Nope. I mean, people glaze over that. I think, I think whatever you do in terms of customer outreach has to be authentic and it has to be giving them something of value and it has to defer the good stuff for you as much as you can. Right. People can smell if you've got a, an ask or if you're trying to get something from them. But if you are genuinely just giving something of value, um, I think good stuff just sort of happens. It may not happen quickly, right? but it happens eventually. And so, look, I, I got nothing to, to sell on this podcast. I just like talking with you, Mike. You've been a, you were a great employee. But I, I will say, um, when, when you just give something of value, it, it, stuff comes, some stuff happens. It's, it's a Absolutely. great, it's a great thing to see. Paying it forward always. And last question for you, Harold, uh, clearly been very successful. What is the next step for man consulting? What is the next step for click time? How do you plan on continuing to grow the business? Where, where do you see yourself? I guess in the next five years with these, businesses? thank you. Thank you. Well, I wouldn't say very successful. I, I have a, a, a wonderful family and I'm, I'm, I get along with my brother. So in that sense, I would say I'm, I define I'm, that as I'm a wealthy man. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, um, you know, I, I want to continue to do man consulting for as long as we can do it and enjoy it and do the right thing. As a matter of fact, I've gotten to a point in the business now where I would rather do the right thing and get fired by a customer then do the wrong thing and get a bunch of revenue or keep that customer on. I One of the that. things I learned was that if you are not deriving joy from what you are doing, uh, it is just not worth it. And I've met a lot of very unhappy, wealthy people. So I, I don't mean to get all philosophical, but uh, that is a key thing. So we're going to continue to do what gives us joy. 
We continue to help people. Uh, Man and ClickTime are both healthy businesses. They're profitable businesses. Um, we'll continue to grow them. We're not, we don't have external investors that are demanding a 15x, 20x return. So it's a lifestyle business that gets sort of poo-pooed by, you know, <laughs> folks who are trying to hit a home run. But I'm enjoying it. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we are in control of our destiny. If we don't like a, a meeting, we get to just end the meeting. If we don't like a customer, we get to fire that customer. That's a nice thing, nice position to be in. Are we going to need to hustle for the next three to six, 12 months? Absolutely. We got to go and say hello to a lot of people, but I'm just going to continue to stay the course, work very hard on giving value, delivering value and be authentic. Don't just send, don't just send something with a template and think it's going to work. Uh, be, yeah. Give them something of value and, and talk to them as though you're already doing business together as opposed to you being a vendor. If you talk to them, wow, I'll tell advice. you a little secret, email that CEO at 7 a.m. on a Saturday because guess what? They're up and that's when they're checking email. Uh, you can get all sorts of great interactions with people if you get them when they are not heads down and bombarded with stuff. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Well, you've done phenomenal, man. As I mentioned, you know, 10 years ago when we worked together, I know I was not the easiest employee, uh, but you have taught me so much, uh, not just Mike, about business. I, I correct you there. I'm sorry. You actually were just really hard on yourself, which is a <laughs> testament to, I think, your upbringing and your drive and your dedication. So yeah, you got, you were tough on yourself whenever you made a mistake, but you were, of course, you're going to make mistakes. You were a rookie. And uh, I'm so proud of what you've accomplished and uh, I would kill for your hairline, but you know, <laughs> I do. It's, it's depreciating slowly, but everything else you said, I really appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. Continue crushing it out there, Harold. We're going to stay in touch as we always have been and uh, looking forward to seeing all the successes you're having, man. Love it. Thanks. Take, Mike. Care, Take yourself. care of yourself. Thanks for joining. For more episodes, visit salespipepros.com.